हे भगवान 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 आई बाउ टू भगवान आई बाउ टू द लॉर्ड इन यू एंड इन द यूनिवर्स एंड इन माय ओन हार्ट मे हिज ब्लेसिंग्स बी ऑन यू एंड I, as a humble channel of my Guru, do my best to bring those lessons and those blessings which I have received through him to you. To me, it is a great honor, a great privilege to be able to serve you in this way. I don't consider it anything but that. Let me read to you from Autobiography of a Yogi. We were... talking about the life of yogananda when he was william the conqueror it's a strange thing that a master because he was liberated then in fact i asked him once and probably since i'm telling you this story it'll be in the next saying i don't know happened to me twice yesterday most embarrassing anyway um he he played a particular role which an ordinary human being could not have played he had to show extraordinary strength and yet only once in that whole incarnation did he uh inflict death punishment on somebody for treachery but in an age when everybody was lopping off their heads he never did it in an age when everybody was completely uh fickle he was absolutely loyal to his wife There was a story which I'm not going to read now just touch on it here where they saw something in an in a biography of William the Conqueror that they read to master sort of with a with a laugh and master's comment in reply was how they distort history what happened wasn't like that at all well you know the thing is with history it, as napoleon said it's a lie agreed upon and when you're reading the life of william the conqueror you're getting it through the monks and uh, uh other writers i imagine all of them were monks in england but when you read it from the french side you see what a great man he was and his court in normandy was the big, biggest court the most famous court in europe where artists and wise men came from all over he was a, an extraordinary man but uh without divine power he could not have accomplished what he did sometimes god sends uh his enlightened souls into these roles in order to do things that have to be done have to be done in the right way and god does take 
interest in history. I'll be perhaps today, this time I will look ahead, and I know that I will be reading it at least sometime, how through Master in this life also he, he interfered or involved himself in world politics because that is the divine way. They are concerned with not just the individual's enlightenment, but with the whole planet's upliftment. Not most masters don't have that job. Our line of gurus did. Let me read this one. This is said. Uh, this is a uh, conversation number one sixty-two. Patterns reveal themselves in the lives of individuals, no less than in the history of nations. The master told us that his eldest son in that life, as William, Duke Robert, was Swami Dirananda in this life. Dirananda once again betrayed him and for the same reasons as before, envy and jealousy. In Autobiography of a Yogi, there is an episode where Yogananda's guru, Swami Siddhukteshwar, expressed displeasure with Yogananda to the master's father. The book states, quote, The only cause of Siddhukteshwar's displeasure at the time was that I had been trying against his gentle hint to convert a certain man to the spiritual path. That, quote, certain man was Swami Dhirananda. It was the Master's responsibility in this life, as it had been in former lives, to help this disciple. Sri Yukteswar, for his part, saw it as his own responsibility to spare his disciple the great problems he foresaw in his future. In fact, as Tulsi Bosch, a boyhood friend of Yogananda's, told a close disciple of the Master's years later, quote, Paramahankraji said to me once, when we were still boys together, someday Bakshi, which was at that time still Swami Dhirananda's name, will betray me and marry a white woman. The Master had known what would occur, in other words, from the very beginning. Why were Sri Yukteswar and Yogananda at odds on this matter? Such the Master himself told me, is the divine play in the lives of masters. To us, that play can seem very mysterious. <clears throat> I got to meet William's second son of that lifetime, William Rufus. In the present life, master told us, he was a New York businessman named Vickerman. Mr. Vickerman was a sincere spiritual aspirant and was, was the, the master's disciple. At our meeting in New York, he remarked that he felt toward me like a brother, a feeling that was based, I believe, on an old memory. During that meeting, he related to me the following story, quote, I began to meditate many years ago. After I'd been practicing for some time, however, I encountered an insurmountable obstacle, the breath. I couldn't go deeper in meditation so long as my breath kept on pumping away distracting my concentration. I had to learn how to go breathless. In fact, I needed help. The problem was I didn't know where to go for it. One day I saw in the newspapers that a certain Swami Yogananda was scheduled to give a lecture in Philadelphia. I dismissed the thought of listening to him and told myself impatiently, I have listened to too many Swamis. I'm not interested in what they have to say. But if this man can help me to go breathless, I must go and meet him. I didn't attend the lecture, but waited for him in the hotel. 
On his return, I went up to his room and knocked on the door, which he opened. Determined to waste no time, I asked him bluntly, Can you help me to go breathless? Yes, he said, equally briefly, come inside. I entered and he touched me. All at once my breath stopped. I entered the breathless state of superconsciousness. Since then I have been his devoted follower. William Rufus, too, King William II, as he became, is said to have had a brusque personality. A diamond in the rough is how he might be described. He was, however, in his own somewhat heavy-handed way, completely loyal to his father, as Mr. Vickerman remained to Paramahansa Yogananda. The lives of saints, of disciples, it's such a wonderful story. It, it, you know, it's um, one good novel repeated billions of times. And in each person, it's like that novel working itself out from episode to episode until finally a soul finds God and discovers that all that he was seeking was in God. That's the whole goal of everything. But God has made such a clever, he's such a clever dramatist that he keeps drawing red herrings over the trail so you don't know exactly what's going to happen and you think that, oh dear, will he fail this time, and so on, and it looks like he's failed. Death certainly looks like a failure, but in God's eyes, and in the eyes of the soul, and in the eyes of the individual soul, when he looks back over all those lives at the time of his enlightenment, he suddenly remembers all those lives, and he sees he never died, he never was born. Those were all just little plays of shadow and light on the great screen. Of eternity. But it's, it's a wonderful thing to contemplate. I said to Master once, is, uh, is, it, is it possible for somebody who has had samadhi, had nirvikalpa samadhi, lives in that state, is it possible for him to lose that consciousness in some lifetimes? Um, you know, he couldn't have done the things he did if he was nirvikalpa samadhi. He had to be a warrior. And Master said, you never forget, you never lose your, your knowledge that you are inwardly free. That was a very enlightening statement. As Lahiri Mahashai didn't become enlightened until he met Babaji, but first he had to go through the experiences of having a wife, having a family, having a job. Then when he had that enlightenment, then he remembered. My master told me that Lahiri Mosha in a former life was Raja Janaka, King Janaka. And all these great masters, that's why I say I think this is my personal conviction. It's not that he said it. But when I see how many lifetimes they have come back in important roles, like Babaji was Krishna, Yogananda was Arjuna. When I see that, I think that when Yogananda said, I will come back again and again, plying my boat across the sh uh, uh, ocean of delusion as long as one stray brother is left crying by the wayside. And of course, when you hear those words, you think, well, from now on. But looking back, I realize it's been going on a long time. He has come back again and again in many different roles as long as one stray brother was 
weeping by the wayside. Because, well, I told you once, I asked him if I was, if I'd been his disciple thousands of years. He said, it's been a long time, that's all I'll say. He said, I said, sir, is it, does it always take that long? He said, oh, yes. Desires for name, fame, this thing and that thing. Take one away again and again. And why did he mention name and fame? I assume it's because that's something I wanted. Because I've certainly had it in this life and it means nothing to me. But I don't consider a popular role and I'm famous, you might say, in the world. I don't consider that it means anything. It's just that I have this karma. And I used to, in the beginning when I was lecturing, I used to think it's my bad karma because my brother disciples can sit there and meditate and I have to be out here lecturing. And I didn't think that lecturing really was all that important. I didn't see that it did much good. But after several years, I began to learn that somebody had not committed suicide just because of this, this uh, uh, lecture that I had given. Somebody else who had doubted God all his life, now he believed in God. And I thought, well, then it is worthwhile. And so since then, it took a long time, I'll tell you the truth, for me to feel that I was rendering uh, respectable and worthy service to my guru. Fame didn't mean anything to me, but probably I did want it in the past because I've attracted in this life and others much more advanced than I. You know, there's one brother disciple who used to envy me because I was always, for some reason, prominent, and he was always, for some reason, obscure. And everything I did was creative, successful. I could not get over the fact that everything he did was totally mediocre. And he envied me, but you know, I envied him. If envy is the right word, and I don't think it really is, but I, I used to think if only I could be more like him, less creative. It's not that I wanted to be creative. It wasn't an ego. It just took more energy to suppress this creative energy that kept rising to the surface. And I just couldn't help it. The only way to overcome it was to go along with it and hope that it would slowly dissipate itself, whereas he didn't have that karma. And uh, I don't say any karma is better or worse, although many times I have wished mine were more like his because I've also, I know, been a hermit in the past. My guru told me so. My heart tells me so. But at any rate, this is my karma, so I might as well be glad of it. And I'm so glad when I see that people have been helped and that I have been able to serve my guru in this little way. Whatever talent you have, use it for God. Don't feel that, oh, well, this is ego. Because if you give it to God, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita did not say, you mustn't act in order to overcome your karma. He said, act in the right way. When I said to my guru, sir, I, I don't want to be a teacher, he said, you'd better learn to like it. That's what you've got to do. Well, this is how many lives we go through. I want to sing you a song called Through Many Lives. This is the story of every soul. Joy to you. Through many lives I've drunk the cup of laughter No man could tell the pleasures I have known The stars in the endless sky If one could count 
tut come to billions yet as vast as other numbers so many years i've wandered far from you yet as vast as other numbers so many years i've wandered far from you through many lives i've drunk the cup of sorrow no man could tell the bitter tears i've shed the drops in the endless sea if one could count would come to billions yet as vast as other numbers so many years i've wandered far from you through countless lives i've sought your cup of sweetness found other cups yet thirsted ever the streams in the hills of time all found their way into a desert every noon of bright fulfillment ere many hours did sink to evening Every noon of bright fulfillment ere many hours did sink to evening gloom I long for you in summer and in winter only for you my heart thirsts day and night i've learned that the sweetest songs is ever heard were but your echo lord at last fill me completely for never more i'd wander far from you lord at last fill me completely for never more i'd wander far from you